Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's episode is an excerpt from Longfellow's long narrative poem, The Courtship of Miles Standish. Longfellow wrote three long poems, Evangeline, The Song of Hiawatha, and The Courtship of Miles Standish. In previous episodes, I've read passages from the first two, I'm enthused now to dip into the third. Like Evangeline, the courtship of Miles Standish is based on true events. In the courtship of Miles Standish, however, not only are the events historical, but so are the characters. The name of Miles Standish, one of the three main characters, may already be familiar to you as one of the pilgrims brought to America by the Mayflower, the captain of the new colony's small militia. The other two main characters, Priscilla Mullins and John Alden, may not be familiar to you, but they were certainly familiar to Longfellow, for he was their descendant. The story Longfellow tells in The Courtship of Miles Standish is thus for him a family story, handed down through the generations of his family, as well as the story of a shared American history. You may feel that in telling you this, I've already ruined the story, for the courtship of Miles Standish is a love story, a love triangle, and if Priscilla Mullins and John Alden are Longfellow's ancestors and he's telling the story, it's pretty likely that they marry, even if the title is The Courtship of Miles Standish, and so they do. Longfellow's first readers would have known this, though, and knowing it from the beginning is part of the pleasure of the poem. The poem is set in the first spring of the Pilgrim Colony. You may remember that the Pilgrims reached the coast of America in late November, much later than they had planned, and that they had a hard winter. Over half of the colonists died, including all but four of the adult women. Among the dead were Rose Standish, the wife of Miles Standish, and William, Alice, and Joseph Mullins, the father, mother, and brother of Priscilla, who at the time was 17 years old. This all sounds quite harsh and gloomy, as it no doubt was, but the poem, though serious and even tragic in its portrayal of the relationship between the colonists and the native people they were displacing, is neither harsh nor gloomy in its portrayal of the love story. Serious at times, yes, but also playful, as it is in today's passage. At the poem's opening, Priscilla lives alone in the house her family built for themselves in those harsh early days, while Miles shares a small house with John, the colony's cooper or barrel maker, the story begins when Miles asks John if he will do him a favor. John immediately says yes, without knowing what the favor is, as they are best friends. He is dismayed, though, when he learns that the favor is to go to Priscilla on his friend's behalf and ask for her hand in marriage. Miles feels himself to be a military man and not a man of words, while John is young and well-spoken, a reader of books, and thus more suited to the task. John is struck to the core, as he too is silently in love with Priscilla, but he has given his word, and thus, unable to talk his friend out of his request, he sets off. 
To court for himself at this point would be selfish, even sinful, as David sinned in courting the beautiful Bathsheba while sending her husband and his friend off to the front of battle. The right thing to do is to keep his word to his friend. Let's listen as John arrives at Priscilla's house. From The Courtship of Miles Standish by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow So he entered the house, and the hum of the wheel and the singing suddenly ceased, for Priscilla, aroused by his step on the threshold, rose as he entered and gave him her hand in signal of welcome, saying, I knew it was you when I heard your step in the passage, for I was thinking of you as I sat there singing and spinning. Awkward and dumb with delight that a thought of him had been mingled thus in the sacred psalm that came from the heart of the maiden, silent before her he stood and gave her the flowers for an answer, finding no words for his thought. He remembered that day in the winter, after the first great snow, when he broke a path from the village, reeling and plunging along through the drifts that encumbered the doorway, stamping the snow from his feet as he entered the house, and Priscilla laughed at his snowy locks and gave him a seat by the fireside, grateful and pleased to know he had thought of her in the snowstorm. Had he but spoken then, perhaps not in vain had he spoken. Now it was all too late. The golden moment had vanished, so he stood there abashed and gave her the flowers for an answer. Then they sat down and talked of the birds in the beautiful springtime, talked of their friends at home and the mayflower that sailed on the morrow. I have been thinking all day, said gently the Puritan maiden, dreaming all night and thinking all day of the hedgerows of England. They are in blossom now, and the country is all like a garden. Thinking of lanes and fields and the song of the lark and the linnet, seeing the village street and familiar faces of neighbors going about as of old and stopping to gossip together, and at the end of the street, the village church with the ivy climbing the old gray tower and the quiet graves in the churchyard. Kind are the people I live with and dear to me my religion. Still, my heart is so sad that I wish myself back in old England. You will say it is wrong, but I cannot help it. I almost wish myself back in old England. I feel so lonely and wretched. Thereupon answered the youth, Indeed, I do not condemn you. Stouter hearts than a woman's have quailed in this terrible winter. Yours is strong and trusting and needs a stronger to lean on. So I have come to you now with an offer and proffer of marriage made by a good man and true, Miles Standish, the captain of Plymouth. Thus he delivered his message, the dexterous writer of letters, did not embellish the theme nor array it in beautiful phrases, but came straight to the point and blurted it out like a schoolboy. Even the captain himself could hardly have said it more bluntly. Mute with amazement and sorrow, Priscilla, the Puritan maiden, looked into Alden's face, her eyes dilated with wonder, feeling his words like a blow that stunned her and rendered her speechless, till at length she exclaimed, interrupting the ominous silence, 
If the great captain of Plymouth is so very eager to wed me, why does he not come himself and take the trouble to woo me? If I am not worth the wooing, I surely am not worth the winning. Then John Alden began explaining and smoothing the matter, making it worse as he went, by saying the captain was busy, had no time for such things. Such things, the words grating harshly, fell on the ear of Priscilla, and swift as a flash she made answer. Has he no time for such things, as you call it, before he is married? Would he be likely to find it or make it after the wedding? That is the way with you men. You don't understand us. You cannot. When you have made up your minds, after thinking of this one and that one, choosing, selecting, rejecting, comparing one with another, then you make known your desire with abrupt and sudden avowal, and are offended and hurt and indignant, perhaps, that a woman does not respond at once to a love that she never suspected, does not attain at a bound the height to which you have been climbing. This is not right nor just, for surely a woman's affection is not a thing to be asked for and head for only for the asking. When one is truly in love, one not only says it but shows it. Had he but waited a while, had he only showed that he loved me, even this captain of yours, who knows, at last might have won me, old and rough as he is, but now it can never happen. Still John Alden went on, unheeding the words of Priscilla, urging the suit of his friend, explaining, persuading, expanding, spoke of his courage and skill, and of all his battles in Flanders, how with the people of God he had chosen to suffer affliction, how in return for his zeal they had made him captain of Plymouth. He was a gentleman born, could trace his pedigree plainly back to Hugh Standish of Duxbury Hall in Lancashire, England, who was the son of Ralph and the grandson of Thurston de Standish, heir and the vast estates of which he was basely defrauded, still bore the family arms and had for his crust a cock argent, combed and waddled jewels, and all the rest of the blazon. He was a man of honor, of noble and generous nature. Though he was rough, he was kindly. She knew how during the winter he had attended the sick with a hand as gentle as woman's, somewhat hasty and hot, he could not deny it, and headstrong, stern as a soldier might be, but hardy and placable always, not to be laughed at and scorned because he was little of stature, for he was great of heart, magnanimous, courtly, courageous. Any woman in Plymouth, nay, any woman in England, might be happy and proud to be called the wife of Miles Standish. But as he warmed and glowed in his simple and eloquent language, quite forgetful of self and full of the praise of his rival, archly the maiden smiled, and with eyes overrunning with laughter, said in a tremulous voice, Why don't you speak for yourself, John? There are many nice things in this passage, beginning with Priscilla's greeting to John, which I tell my female students to make note of and file away for future use. More important to them, though, is Priscilla's firm insistence on her own worth and on her own rights as a woman 
to feel and choose as she will, an insistence perhaps all the more striking because of the narrative's repeated characterization of Priscilla as a Puritan maiden. Down the road from me is a historical marker indicating that the original homesteaders of the road were a veteran of 76, that is, a veteran of the American Revolutionary War who was paid as many, if not most were, not with money, which was in short supply, but with land, and his wife. The historical marker gives the name of his wife, Submit, a good Puritan name, but not a name for a delightful, self-willed modern woman such as Priscilla. Let's listen again. From The Courtship of Miles Standish by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow So we entered the house, and the hum of the wheel and the singing suddenly ceased, for Priscilla, aroused by his step on the threshold, rose as he entered and gave him her hand in signal of welcome, saying, I knew it was you when I heard your step in the passage, for I was thinking of you as I sat there singing and spinning. Awkward and dumb with delight that a thought of him had been mingled thus in the sacred psalm that came from the heart of the maiden, silent before her he stood and gave her the flowers for an answer, finding no words for his thought. He remembered that day in the winter, after the first great snow, when he broke a path from the village, reeling and plunging along through the drifts that encumbered the doorway stamping the snow from his feet as he entered the house, and Priscilla laughed at his snowy locks and gave him a seat by the fireside, grateful and pleased to know he had thought of her in the snowstorm. Had he but spoken then, perhaps not in vain had he spoken. Now it was all too late, the golden moment had vanished, so he stood there abashed and gave her the flowers for an answer. Then they sat down and talked of the birds in the beautiful springtime, talked of their friends at home and the mayflower that sailed on the morrow. I have been thinking all day, said gently the Puritan maiden, dreaming all night and thinking all day of the hedgerows of England. They are in blossom now, and the country is all like a garden, thinking of lanes and fields and the song of the lark and the linnet seeing the village street and familiar faces of neighbors going about as of old and stopping to gossip together, and at the end of the street, the village church with the ivy climbing the old gray tower and the quiet graves in the churchyard. Kind are the people I live with and dear to me my religion. Still, my heart is so sad that I wish myself back in old England. You will say it is wrong, but I cannot help it. I almost wish myself back in old England. I feel so lonely and wretched. Thereupon answered the youth, Indeed, I do not condemn you. Stouter hearts than a woman's have quailed in this terrible winter. Yours is tender and trusting and needs a stronger to lean on. So I have come to you now with an offer and proffer of marriage made by a good man and true, Miles Standish, the captain of Plymouth. Thus he delivered his message, the dexterous writer of letters, did not embellish the theme, 
nor arrayed in beautiful phrases, but came straight to the point and blurted it out like a schoolboy. Even the captain himself could hardly have said it more bluntly. Mute with amazement and sorrow, Priscilla, the Puritan maiden, looked into Alden's face, her eyes dilated with wonder, feeling his words like a blow that stunned her and rendered her speechless. Till at length she exclaimed, interrupting the ominous silence, If the great captain of Plymouth is so very eager to wed me, why does he not come himself and take the trouble to woo me? If I am not worth the wooing, I surely am not worth the winning. Then John Alden began explaining and smoothing the matter, making it worse as he went by saying the captain was busy, had no time for such things. Such things, the words grating harshly, fell on the ear of Priscilla, and swift as a flash she made answer. Has he no time for such things as you call it before he is married? Would he be likely to find it or make it after the wedding? That is the way with you men. You don't understand us. You cannot. When you have made up your minds after thinking of this one and that one, choosing, selecting, rejecting, comparing one to another, then you make known your desire with abrupt and sudden avowal, and are offended and hurt and indignant, perhaps, that a woman does not respond at once to a love that she never suspected, does not attain at a bound the height to which you have been climbing. This is not right nor just, for surely a woman's affection is not a thing to be asked for and had for only the asking. When one is truly in love, one not only says it, but shows it. Had he but waited a while, had he only showed that he loved me, even this captain of yours, who knows, at last might have won me, old and rough as he is, but now it can never happen. Still John Alden went on, unheeding the words of Priscilla, urging the suit of his friend, explaining, persuading, expanding, spoke of his courage and skill, and of all his battles in Flanders, how with the people of God he had chosen to suffer affliction, how in return for his zeal they had made him captain of Plymouth. He was a gentleman born, could trace his pedigree plainly back to Hugh Standish of Duxbury Hall in Lancashire, England, who was the son of Ralph and the grandson of Thurston de Standish, heir unto vast estates of which he was basely defrauded, still bore the family arms, and had for his crest a cock argent, combed and wadded jewels, and all the rest of the blazon. He was a man of honor, of noble and generous nature. Though he was rough, he was kindly. She knew how during the winter he had attended the sick, with a hand as gentle as woman's, somewhat hasty and hot, he could not deny it, and had strong, stern as a soldier might be, but hardy and placable always, not to be laughed at and scorned because he was little of stature. For he was great of heart, magnanimous, courtly, courageous. Any woman in Plymouth, nay, any woman in England, might be happy and proud to be called the wife of Miles Standish. But as he warmed and glowed in his simple and eloquent language, quite forgetful of self and full of the praise of his rival, archly the maiden smiled, 
and with eyes overrunning with laughter, said in a tremulous voice, Why don't you speak for yourself, John? Evangeline, a tale of Ockady, is a tragedy, a beautiful tragedy, but a tragedy nevertheless, ending not in the marriage of the lovers, but in their deaths. By contrast, The Courtship of Miles Standish is a comedy, not because there is humor, but because it ends in the marriage of the lovers. These are the two ways all stories end, the Italian novelist Italo Calvino tells us, either in the inevitability of death or the continuity of life, the two sides of life's coin. Comedy in this sense consists of the impediments on the way to the altar. In Shakespeare's comedies, these impediments often come in the guise of mistaken identities. In the courtship of Miles Standish, the chief impediment is of a moral nature, as neither John nor Priscilla think it right that John betray his word to his friend who goes off to war without freeing John from his promise, but rather angry and hurt. In both Shakespeare and Longfellow, though, the impediments allow for something more important, a growth in maturity and understanding, particularly on the part of the man, to become true marriage material. Longfellow mixes this story of Alden's individual growth with a story of the necessary growth in the maturity and understanding of America itself, which we'll return to in future episodes. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you'll join me again next week for another episode of Fireside Poems. If you think others might enjoy Fireside Poems, please let them know about it through your social media so that they might join you and me each week by the Fireside.